I want to take us uh, way back in history to 1154 BC. It was a bloody, brutal war called the Trojan War. For 10 years, the Greeks, they were, they were trying to take over the city of Troy and yet had uh, been unable to do so until now they're under the lead of Odysseus. And you, you may remember the story, maybe you read about it in a history class, uh, and he, they come up with this new plan, a, a deceptive plan to build this enormous Trojan horse, which really was the kind of the mascot of the city of Troy. And, and the Greeks, they, they left this gigantic wooden structure outside of the gates of the city and then appeared to sail away. And so the people in the city of Troy thought perhaps this was a a gift of peace, maybe a, an offering to uh, their gods. And so they wheeled it into the city, and maybe you remember the story, and nightfall came, and the Trojan horse opens, and out of it come some of the Greek soldiers. And then they went, and they opened up the gates to the city. And it was because of this, this uh, wise, scheming, and deceptive act that the city of Troy was finally conquered uh, by the Greeks. Well, the Trojan horse, it's, it's something from um, history, but it's also something that you hear about today, uh, perhaps it, it, more of in the world of cybersecurity, right? You've, you've heard of a, a Trojan horse, perhaps. Uh, CrowdStrike says a Trojan horse, uh, the ones that we usually think about and talk about today, is a type of malware that disguises itself as a legitimate code or software but once inside a network or once inside your laptop or your com home computer, it can damage files, it can steal data. Perhaps you, you know, you've had one of these viruses in your computer or, or perhaps your workplace at some point has been invaded by one of these. So whether it's a cybersecurity, whether it's ancient Greece and the Trojan War, the, the, the bottom line is it's an act of deception, Right? We're in a series that we started last weekend, studying the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 6. It's Paul's kind of guidelines and his, his, uh, his challenge to the Ephesian church to be very, very aware that we also have a deceptive enemy that is strategizing against us in our spiritual lives and our everyday journeys. In fact, we, we looked last weekend at the enemy of our souls and his army of demons in the kind of the unseen world that does impact our very seen world. And we were reminded that the devil, another name that is given to him throughout the pages of scripture is the deceiver, the great deceiver. And, and so just like the, the Trojans were overtaken because of deception, we have to be aware that the enemy of our souls is looking to do the same thing in our lives. I think about uh, from the very beginning pages of Scripture, the story of humanity, Adam and Eve, and they're living in this perfect harmony with God himself, their creator, in the Garden of Eden. And, and yet they're tempted, right? They're tempted, lured away from God's path for their lives, and, and they choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and life ever since then, has not been the same. And, and God comes to them in the Garden of Eden with questions, question after question, not so much because God doesn't know, but because he's trying to help Adam and Eve. He's trying to help humanity understand 
where we've gone wrong in our position before him. And it says, the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And what did she say? The serpent what? Deceived me. That's why I ate it. Deception. It's been his tactic from the beginning of time. And Satan is still in the business of deceiving. He likes to cause question. He likes to cause doubt. He likes to to make something look shiny and special and significant to get us to, to take a bite and to lead us astray. The Bible says that Satan even disguises himself as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians, another one of Paul's letters. And he's still doing the same thing. He's trying to lure us away from God's pathway for our lives. And, and as, as somebody put it, Satan won't barge through the front door of your life and my life. He'll sneak in the back door. And it's why the Apostle Paul, as he gives instruction to the Ephesians, he says, listen, you've you got to stand your ground. And it's why he says, you've got to put on the whole armor of God. And this weekend, we launch into discovering the first two pieces of armor that Paul says we need to put on, almost like a, a Roman officer would have in that day. And he says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness. So I want us to think for a few moments about both of these pieces of armor and what that might look like to put these on in our lives on a daily basis. So first of all, the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Now, when you think of a belt, you're probably thinking of a belt like this. I'm wearing one today. I don't like to wear them. You want to know why? I don't get on the scale either, but a belt is kind of like a scale, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's like, all right, okay, we're down to X. And then, then, then you're like, oh, uh, okay, I guess we're back up too. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of reveals something, doesn't it? But the belt that, that Paul is describing to, to the Ephesians looks altogether different from the belts of our day. In fact, um, probably the belt that I put on was the last piece of clothing that I put on this morning. But the belts that they would have put on would have been actually the first piece that they put on. Uh, the belt of truth uh, looked a little bit more like this. It was almost more like a, sorry to say, but like a girdle. I mean, it, it was like something that was worn underneath all the rest of the body armor and kind of held it all together. John Stott says the belt was underneath everything. It held the soldier's tunic together. It held his sword. Get this, it was hidden, but it gave a soldier a sense of strength and confidence. What Paul's alluding to here is that we're daily to put on the belt of truth, something that we put on daily that gives us an internal strength and confidence in this world, a strength and confidence that helps us stand our ground, stand our ground against the enemy of our soul, Uh, a, a belt that, so to speak, just holds all the rest of our lives together, and that's the truth of God's word. It's why uh, our number one value here at the chapel is to depend on God. The tagline is, we rely on God and his word. It's why God's word will always be central, whether it's backstage as a worship team's talking, sharing devotions together, or or down in our kids' hallway right now, and kids, they're going to lean into the truth of God's word and figure out what does that mean for their everyday life. It's why every weekend we're going to look at the Bible together and we're going to explore it because it is the truth 
that holds our lives together. Or without it, our lives often will just completely fall apart. Another word for truth would be the word orthodox. Uh, And so when we think about this phrase, uh, biblical orthodoxy, maybe you've heard that phrase or maybe you've seen churches with orthodox even in the name of the church. Um, Or maybe you've studied a little bit of theology and, and you might ask the question, well, I don't know, is that orthodox? Well, what does that mean? Uh, Dr. Nick Perrin says, uh, the word orthodoxy means straight thinking. And so biblical orthodoxy means straight thinking on the basis of the Bible. What is the rule that guides our life? What is the belt that holds it all together for our lives? That's God's word. It's why daily, like we always talk about spending chair time, like spending time with God. It doesn't have to be in a chair. It can be while you're driving, it can be listening in on a podcast, it can be listening to scripture in your earbuds, uh, but daily taking in the truth of God's word. Why? Because it girds us up. It gives us confidence. It, it, it gives us security. It holds everything else about our lives together. And it's funny, we, we, we might think, you know, um, Satan's just trying to get us to do the wrong thing, but in reality, I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in the screw tape letters. It's kind of a, um, a fictional storyline that pictures uh, the demonic realm and how Satan and his uh, legion of demons might be trying to impact and affect the body of Christ. And in one, at one point, he writes, it's funny how mortals, and so this, this, is, a, this is a demon speaking, saying, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, he says, our best work is done by keeping things out. It's why in the, in the parable of the sower, uh, the sower goes out to sow seed, the, the word, the truth of God's word, and it says that some of it fell along rocky ground, and the birds, they came, and they took it away. They ate it up. In the same way, Satan, he's trying to trying to remove God's word from our life. He doesn't like you being here today. He doesn't like it when we crack our Bibles midweek. He doesn't like it when we sit around a circle with some friends in a Bible study to to look at the truth of God's word. Why? Because the truth of God's word is powerful. It, 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 It will ground us. It'll help us stand our ground, and it'll hold our lives together. What we believe, it matters. What truth we believe matters. Is it orthodox? Is it, is it biblical? Is it, is it right? So I think about a couple categories in, your, in our lives, in my life. Uh, for instance, when, when, when I, when you experience pain, okay, what truth we hold on to, what truth is uh, holding us together matters. And so if we're going through pain and hardship in life, God's truth reminds us, that no matter what we're going through, God is still good, that we can trust him, right? But there's an alternate truth, right, that, that, that it's easy to start to think or buy into, and that is, well, I'm going through pain and hardship, and so therefore God can't be good, and God can't be trustworthy. One is going to gird us up and strengthen us and help us lean into God, another, the other one is going to pull us away and turn us away 
from the God who loves us? What's holding us together? Or when it comes to our finances, biblical truth, God's truth will say, I'm a steward of what I've been given. That is, everything that I have, uh, all the resources that God blesses you and I with, they're gifts from God. That's the truth. And we're just stewards to, to handle, to manage those things. But if we start to, to believe the lie of the enemy who's just looking to tear us down in our lives, it'll, it'll sound more like, well, I'm in control of what, what I've earned. Emphasis on I, right? And so, so it's I, me, mine. I'm not just a steward. No, I control it. It's mine to do with whatever I want, as I please. And, and God, he gives us great freedom. But the enemy of our souls, he's looking to make us proud and self-sufficient so that we won't depend on God's truth. And that will lead us astray, and he'll find a chink in our armor to attack. The belt of truth is what holds us together. Or one, one more category of our life, relationships. I mean, huge, huge part of our life, right? Whether it's our marriage, whether it's our friendships, whether it's our coworkers, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's our immediate family, our extended family, our relationships, man, it can be a playground for Satan to cause pain and hardship, or it can, it can be a, a beautiful space of flourishing, love, and care, and compassion, and encouragement, and so what truth are we going to hold on to? If we hold on to God's truth that says, listen, when it comes to my relationships, I'm here. We're here to serve other people. That's going to make a difference in our life. Or if we believe the alternate truth that the enemy is trying to sow into our lives to lead us astray, and we'll believe that, well, people are here to serve me, right? You've all been around people, that, and you can tell pretty quickly, like, where you fit and what their expectation might be, whether they're there for you or they very much feel like, well, you're there to serve them. So what we believe matters. And Paul's telling the Ephesian church, gird yourself up, like put the belt of truth on and buckle it tight to hold you together. Well, I love what Romans 12 says about this. It's, it's really the truth of God, uh, the belt of truth at work, and not just around our waistline, but around our thinking. Romans 12 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way we think. And I love what it says next. It says, and then... <laughs> As God changes the way we think because we're, we're belted with his truth, he says, then we will learn to know what God's will is for our lives. Don't we all want to know this? Don't we want to know what, what's God's plan? What's his pathway for my life? And he says, here's the secret. It's let God's word guide your thinking. Belt yourself with his truth, and then you'll have great assurance and confidence of God's will for your life, his good pleasing, and perfect will. And if we want to know more about God's will for his life, that leads us to the second piece of armor that we want to look at in the rest of our time together. He says, Paul says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, but also putting on the body armor, or some versions of the Bible say the breastplate 
of God's righteousness. Body armor might be a little bit better description because it's not just a breastplate. It's not just something that covers the front in, in that day and age. Uh, John Stott says the body armor or breastplate oftentimes covered the front and the back of the soldier. It was a major piece of armor that protected the most vital organs, the breastplate or body armor of righteousness. When I think about this, I think about what Paul wrote earlier in in this same letter, the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, and Paul says, put on your new nature created to be like God in what? Truly righteous and holy. When Paul says, put on the body armor of God's righteousness, he's saying really, I think, two things. Number one, put on Christ. Christ is our righteousness. The Bible says that uh, uh, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us. That is, he died on the cross. He took upon all of our mistakes and our mess so that we could become the righteousness of God. We are righteous in Christ as God looks down uh, into this world and sees my life. He doesn't just see me and my mistakes and my mess-ups, and there's been plenty. He sees the righteousness of Jesus because I've put my faith and hope in him. But there's a second aspect to righteousness, and that's our everyday living out that righteousness practically in our lives. And Paul was challenging the Ephesians to say, listen, if you want to be protected, if you want your most vital organs to be protected... Well, number one, you have to have Jesus as your Savior. And secondly, you need to step into the process of being more and more like Christ, becoming more righteous in our everyday life, uh, living rightly. And there's great protection when we live rightly, right? J.D. Greer says, whatever is uncovered in our life, the enemy will use to attack us. And so when we live in unrighteous ways, in unholy ways, when we entertain those wrong thoughts, when, when, we're, when we're thinking those things, when we're straying away from God's path in our life, it opens up a hole in the armor that, that God has created for us to put on on a daily basis, and it makes us susceptible. We're in danger when we don't have the body armor of God's righteousness upon us. And there's another picture of this in Scripture, and I love this one because it's not body armor for us. God's not asking us to put on anything that he himself has not worn. That's what I love about Jesus, our Savior. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done first. And the prophet Isaiah put it this way. He says, then I looked and I was displeased to find that there was no justice He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself, it says, stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. And it says, and he put on righteousness as his body armor, and he placed the helmet of salvation on his head. We'll talk about the helmet of salvation in just a couple more weeks. But in this picture, it's like of a warrior, and God himself, he's looking down and he sees the, the plight of the oppressed. This is why we need to care for the poor and the needy and those that don't yet know about Jesus. They too, they are oppressed because they don't have the truth of God's word yet. Uh, and God looked down and 
people, even some of his own people, weren't doing anything about the oppressed. And so he says, I'm coming down, and I'm armoring up, and I'm going to go to war. I'm going to go to bat on behalf of the hurting, the oppressed. So here's what we need to understand about the, the breastplate of righteousness. It's not just about, uh, oh, I'll have it and I'll be protected as long as I don't do the wrong things. It's also about doing the right thing, walking in humility, doing justice, loving mercy, caring for others. It's why we as a church, we're called to care for those in our community, whether it's widows or whether it's kids that are without, or whether it's those in nursing homes that are neglected and marginalized, how can we move towards the people that God deeply cares about? This is what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And and Paul is saying, when we put this on, it leads to the greatest of protection. So I want us to close with two next step questions. Number one, what truths am I believing to hold my life together? Have I, have I, have I bought into an untruth, a, a lie of the great deceiver? And, and, and what is that doing in my life? And where do I need to kind of regird up in truth? And then the second question, are there any holes? Are there any holes that I've created in my own body armor? What have I been thinking about? Where have I been straying? Where have I been lured in? And it's opened up a gap. Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He says, listen, you're at war. This is a battleground. So stand your ground. And in order to stand your ground against the enemy of our soul, he says, we've got to put on the whole armor of God. That includes the belt of truth first. It's what holds us all together. And it includes the breastplate of God's righteousness. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you.